This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And And I'm I'm a writer, writer, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer, but today we have Christine Sneed. Christine Sneed's previous books include Little Known Facts, The Virginity of Famous Men, and Paris, he said, and she is the editor of Love in the Time of Time's Up, a short fiction anthology. Her work has appeared in the Best American Short Stories, O. Henry Prize Stories, Plowshares, New England Review, Glimmer Train, The Southern Review, New York Times, Chicago Tribune, and other publications. She has received the Grace Paley Prize, the Chicago Writers Association Book of the Year Award, the Society of Midland Authors Award, the Chicago Public Library Foundation's 21st Century Award, and has been a finalist for the Los Angeles Times Book Prize. She's the faculty director of Northwestern University School of Professional Studies Graduate Creative Writing Program, and teaches for the Low Residency MFA program at Regis University. Welcome, Christine. Welcome. Thank you. So, so happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. Your new book is called Please Be Advised, a novel in memos on seven, is it 713? Is that how I would say it? Yeah, Yeah. 713 books. And um, it's literally what it sounds like. And it is one of the funniest books I've ever read. (laughs) I could (laughs) not, I mean... (laughs) It's so not even if you, it's it's great for if you've worked in an office, but if you've worked with anyone ever, and especially in this new culture where we're kind of, I think we're kind of coming out of it now where, but where previously we had to sort of accept each other as like a, a fucked up kind of family, you know, <laughs> like with a shared vision that, you know, was forced upon you by someone yeah. who's completely out of touch with your actual life. I, I, uh, <laughs> I digress. Um, but what a delight. All of us know mm. people who work in offices. Yes. This is like the perfect thing to give people. <laughs> so true. It's just a delight. This would be a great gift for someone who works in an office, reads two books a year. This is the book. This is the book for your Aunt Sally. And your Uncle Joe. And Uncle Joe. I forgot you cannot forget him. That's Uncle Joe. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. Alex. I should have led with Joe. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I love that you said that. And it's, it makes me sad that people some people only read two books a year I know we're all really really busy but I just wish everyone had to read it was like compulsory to be American that you had to read two books each month I know wouldn't that be so great yeah absolutely um book talk will save us all don't worry (laughs) I hope so it it seems to be helping Colleen Hoover and a few other people listen she's a robot did you know that I want to (laughs) know I'm curious about her We'll, we'll talk about that later. Can you please read to us? And can I make a suggestion? Uh, sure. Okay. I, you can read whatever you want, but I really love um, uh, Brian Stokerly Esquire's first important epiphanies memo. Mm. And I really love the upper level management proper workplace speech memo. <laughs> okay. Um, I Let's see here. Can you tell me, I'm sorry to be so dumb, but what page... What pages? I cannot believe you don't know. Oh, you don't have your whole book memorized. Oh my gosh! God, proper workplace speech. (laughs) Okay, so uh, twelve. Yeah, twelve is Brian Stokerly's, and yeah, and then I. Yep, you're right. Sixteen is the other one. You know, I just I read I read I did the audio book myself, and I read Brian Stokerly with a British accent, but I I'm not going to do that because I'm out of practice, and I've actually been sort of worried that people who 
the few people who've gotten the audiobook so far are thinking like, who is she kidding? So I'm <laughs> my normal accent, my normal American English here. Inner office memorandum, date September 14th, to all Quest Industries employees from President Brian Stokerly Esquire. Subject, important epiphanies. I am excited to share with you a few recent epiphanies I've had that I think you too will benefit from. One, some of us think we are allergic to nuts, but we are not. Two, parking in a tow zone for one to three minutes is usually okay. Three, it is very difficult to know, objectively speaking, if you are good looking. Four, making monkey sounds can be great fun, but as a rule should not be done while riding mass transit. Five, it's okay to swim on a full stomach as long as it's not too full. Six, women named Stephanie are extremely talkative and prone to snoring, in my experience. Seven, public restrooms, if at all possible, should be entered with caution, i.e. shirt on, pants fully zipped. Eight, I am fairly certain that in a past life I was a squirrel and resided in Norway. For years I have had recurring dreams of treasure chests filled with acorns. Nine, dogs are excellent judges of character. In fact, they're never wrong. 10, it's true that you can get sunburn when it's cloudy outside. 11, dill pickles have no calories. I know this seems unbelievable, but I'm not lying. 12, cat brains are more like human brains than dog brains are, which explains why cats are such assholes. Right, so the next one. Inner office memorandum, date September 17th to all Quest Industries employees from upper level management, subject, proper workplace speech. Use of the following phrases and their nearest approximants will not be tolerated during business hours in our offices. You idiot. I'm tired of this bullshit. Is it time to go yet? Your ears look like they're made out of silly putty. Most days, I don't believe there is a God. What did that fool say? Gross. I don't care. Did anyone ever tell you how much you look like Chewbacca? I love cock. Dumbass. Wow, you look really tired. You remind me of my father. The boss is hammered again. When you die, I hope your cat chews off half your face. You crazy bitch, I can't believe you ate the last scone. Last night, I got so wasted I puked my socks off. These are my fuck me shoes. Who's that loser? You're a pussy. I hate pizza. Anyone overheard using these phrases should be reported immediately to President Brian Stokerly Esquire, who will mete out the appropriate punishment. Fun fact, President Stokerly lives in Lake Point Towers, where Oprah and other luminaries also reside. Coincidentally, last Saturday, our good-hearted president had the pleasure of riding the elevator for many floors with Oprah and an elderly woman who appeared to be carrying a black and tan dachshund, a shih tzu, and an apple pie in a picnic basket. I was giggling like a fool all throughout that list. And like, as you read the book, you can sort of be like, okay, I think I know who said that. I think I know who said these are my fuck me shoes. <laughs> <laughs> And I love that that's on the same level as I hate pizza, <laughs> as offensive as. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I had to. If you were not done reading, I'm so sorry, but I had no, to. No, I was. Okay. I was. That was the end. Yeah. Okay. I, I, um, I, yeah, it was so much fun writing that list because I, I don't know, you're both very funny writers too. Do you, well, I shouldn't say too. I just said you are funny writers. I'm saying that I'm a funny writer by you saying are. you are. Obviously, you are. But thanks. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm. Some might disagree, but I, I hope most will They're at least give me the benefit of doubt. Of the doubt. I just, I kept coming up with things that I thought, you know, I this. There have to be a few serious things, but on the whole, they're just. I really just wanted the whole book to be, basically, an attempt to get I don't know it's like therapy because I've worked in several different offices it's mm -hmm. been a while since I've done that but just the sort of absurdity of how you know where you're expected to spend all that time every day with people that you probably would not choose to be with and you can't even say what you really think at any point either and it just unless you you know you're 
not worried about getting fired. But that was really what I wanted to do with this book is like all the things that we're not supposed to say in polite company. I've, I've tried to, you know, use that as my guiding ethos for, for each of the memos. Was that the starting point, Christine? Or did you just kind of, what did this come out of another project and then the form ended up taking over? Or tell us about how you actually came to write Please Be Advised. I had just finished writing this other novel that I haven't published, which was a really straightforward narrative, you know, with and very linear chronological progression. It was, but it was a sex comedy. And so like, please be advised, the whole thing is really just, I, I wanted everything to be off kilter and I had so much fun writing it. And um, I just didn't want to stop writing in that sort of voice. Mm. So, but I was so tired after writing, you know, like a 90,000 page manuscript um, that I thought I can only do flash or, semi-flash type stories for at least a, the next couple months because I'm really tired. And and I just started writing these memos thinking, well, maybe I can publish a few of these in journals. And I don't really know what the impetus was initially why I, I chose the memo form, but I think it just seemed manageable. And I used to teach business writing at DePaul and Loyola. So I... I always, I actually liked teaching business writing because you can, it's a lot easier to teach, I think, than how to write poetry or fiction. I mean, mm. I mean it's like within a 10 week quarter, you can actually teach someone how to write a cover letter. Mm -hmm. and a resume. Yeah. There's like concrete rules, you know, like yeah. here's what a semicolon yeah. does. Don't swear. Yeah. yeah. Cannot say you hate pizza. <laughs> 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 yeah. I, I can't, you know, and then I just realized eventually that I wanted to keep going and I thought, well, maybe I can turn this into a novel. So I just started writing more and then I figured out, oh, I need to get a, I have to get individual voices. It can't just be mid-level, lower level and upper level management penning these memos. And that's how I ended up with this stories of personal triumph, which <laughs> let me be, you know, I could write these stories from each of different characters' points of view and they would be authored by one employee at the company. So then it, they were just sort of used to keep, you know, you you guys have read it. So I, I thought this would be a fun way to break up this, the other narrative threads in the book, like the IRS audit and the matchmaking memos and things like that. Oh my God. Those matchmaking memos are wild. <laughs> so glad you think so just yeah. the idea that they would be brutally honest with their coworkers about like well we didn't we weren't going to have sex then or you know like we you know like the just because it's yeah. an initiative that human resources has started so we have to take it seriously you know and we have to like root for them and it's it it's truly bonkers but in like so in the way that the tv show severance is wild and right yeah. and 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 you're you think to yourself like well this is a world i recognize but not a world that actually could ever exist but there's these moments of eeriness and and you know uncanny um discomfort <laughs> where you're like yeah. oh shit that's a little close to what actually does happen that's what i felt the whole time reading this book was um you know like just a few pivots at the company that i used to work for and we would be getting these, you know, these lists of personal epiphanies from the, <laughs> the from the founder president. that are completely inappropriate and not related and so um like redolent of privilege that it's you you basically gag, you know. <laughs> and it's such a joy. I, I like I remember we would keep um at my last job, no one there listens to this, so I feel free to say this. We would keep like lists of of funny things that we would say to each other over chat. <laughs> I love that. I, That's I, yeah, I have like dozens of pages of things that we said that were funny and they get increasingly bizarre in the way that these memos get increasingly bizarre. Um, and so it it is like, it's a, it's a world that you recognize. Oh, you know what it is? I just realized it's the Twilight Zone. <laughs> it's the mm -hmm. office Twilight Zone. <laughs> it does. I mean, I guess, yeah, I could see 
there there's a ghost in there too and yeah I mean it was all just sort of associative logic um in that I didn't really have a plan for the book when I started writing it and did it feel freeing to write this way it feels like a very like wild free book it did it really did I I think this was the least I've suffered writing the novel. <laughs> you know, you guys have published and written no, you know, novels. Well, Alex, yours is coming out soon. And it's just so hard. I mean, at least to write Sucks. something that you, we're all, we've all been writing for a long time and we all read, you know, probably writers who, well, I remember reading, I don't know who said it. It was like, we all, like, if you are serious about being a writer, you have to read minds who are greater than your own. Mm. So I just, I'm always reading people who are better than I am. And I, I want to, because I just want to be better too. But um, it, it was just so, I just kind of thought like, I don't know what, I mean, I wrote most of this book in 2017, late in 2017, and then into the first few months of 2018. And then I was working with this agent who had tried to sell the sex comedy that I just had also I had like was such a great time writing it those that book and this book were the two books that I just had so much fun and the fact that I haven't sold the other one you know it's I just I'm not giving up on it but that agent he read this book and he was like well it's very funny and I just don't think it's a novel mm -hmm. so then I worked was working with a different agent and she was like well I think it's kind of boring and and I'm like, I'm just like Jesus I don't even know if she read it. You know, frankly, I, I think her assistant read it, who was probably 22. Uh huh. And and I thought, you know what? I don't believe you. I, I know it's not. It's definitely not boring. That is not a word I would use. Boring, <laughs> boring is a really, really strange critique of this book. That is very bizarre. I, I I would be surprised if that person read it. I think that person is is upper level management writing these memos. <laughs> Well, go. I mean, yeah, I think I just don't think the agent read it. And I think her probably young assistant read it and didn't really get it. And humor, as you all know, is extremely subjective. Mm -hmm. Drama is not like if someone dies in a plane crash, we're all going to probably find that tragic or sad. But, you know, someone like I actually had literally in college, my one of my three senior year roommates, we were walking out the front gates of our school and she slipped and then we looked down and she had slipped on a banana peel like, oh my God. and and we all <laughs> but like in reality if you like if you put that in a story people might not laugh but no i think it's funny and most of people course. probably do think it's funny but <laughs> but some people wouldn't so it's like with humor you just don't know and also as i said i just think if if you've never worked in an office or you don't have a sense of humor, which some people sadly don't seem to, then it's not going to be for you. But I, I, I don't know. Like I've, I've gotten really nice responses from the people who've read it so far. So I guess people who didn't like it, if they know me, they're not going to tell me if they did read it and didn't like it. One thing about that critique that is also strange to me is that this book has a real warmth to it, despite being Thank everything you. that we have talked about. There's also, it's not, the humor is not cold and cynical. I feel like the world of this novel is open and warm. And it's one of the reasons why I think you could hand this to almost anybody, because I don't think it is, I don't know. It doesn't, the, the comedy isn't insular and. And it's not bitter, right? And it's not bitter. It's not bitter. A lot of strange, wild things happen but not in a way that makes you want to walk off the roof. I mean, they're, I don't know. I think it enlarges the world for sure. It doesn't. That's such a good point, Alex. And I felt like as I was like in the first few pages, as I was reading it, I, I felt like, first of all, it's such a sure hand as you're reading mm -hmm. and also immediately so strange yes. that I felt carried along. And I felt like, like it was like a partnership where I was like, I am agreeing to be carried along yes. and the book was carrying me. And I feel like that's also, you know, an agreement that the employees have made <laughs> with the company. <laughs> They're like, uh, I mean, whatever. I have a job. Okay. I'm being paid. Um, I'm just going to go, go with it and, you know, trust, trust it. Here's my story of personal triumph. <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of, I don't know, yes, sometimes yeah. really disturbing, <laughs> you know? 
Um, and so it was like a wonderful, like a wonderful release for me as like a wizened reader and writer <laughs> to just kind of be like, huh, I'm just being taken somewhere and I'm just going, you know, and, and oh, it's, so it's exactly, yeah. yeah and, and there's not like that, like, um, is this smarter than me? Am I not, you know, like it's, right. it's like, it's, it's just a true pleasure, even as it's like, so bizarre, it's right. like mad magazine. And well, and what you said is I think important because very often when you are reading something where immediately an author's sense, you know, ability and sense of control is exhibited like from page one, tonally, very often that work is different than this. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times it it can be what for whatever reason, because a lot of times, you know, we're dealing with the the genre of literary fiction when you're when you're feeling that control. And so of course, this is also literary fiction, but it is so funny. There's so much warmth to it that there's a real joy in reading reading Absolutely. something with that. So it's, it's a unique book in that way. It is. I I, I yeah. selfishly want to hear what what the revision um, being in my own revising hell right now. I would love to know what revision was like for you. You know, it was pleasant. Did you guys go back and forth? on the form once once the novel had been accepted for publication or were there were there any other changes that you guys made that were they like larger scale um well kurt baumeister my editor at 713 books shout out kurt yay yeah he's such a great guy um he suggested you know he's like i think we need another plot thread or two so mm. i said well how about an irs audit and he's like that's a good idea and and then he also wanted me to go a little bit farther into Ken Crickshaw's character, the mm. disgraced coroner slash yes. office manager, um, <laughs> because he has that plot point about his son having disappeared 11 years earlier. And then also the fact that he botched his wife's autopsy. So I had to go back and address those different plot points. And um he it was just you know it was and then I wrote a few more I actually wrote some more of the matchmaker I think I wrote a couple more of the matchmaker memos and then also the auditors themselves with the downstairs um I can't remember the name of the company but the company directly below them I it was there's you know mysterious stuff going on down there mm-hmm. so I addressed mm-hmm. that eventually um oh Diablo Tech Inc that's what it's called so <laughs> that he just was really you know generous about shepherding me through to the end and also just getting more of an arc so mm. it would read a little bit more like a novel but you know That's he was awesome. happy with the pastiche quality too i don't think he wasn't really like gunning for anything over the top that i didn't feel comfortable That's awesome. with. i actually really love that there will be like a long memo about something that's about to happen at the company and then a few memos later, it's past the date where that would have happened. I think yes. the one of them was the um, uh, British accent contest. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> which is like long and involved description of what this contest is going to be. And then we just never hear how it turned out. That's the control, though. Like, that it is, is so, the, yes, that it is, is wonderful. Awesome. And sometimes we do. Like, sometimes we do hear about, like, you know, as a result yeah. of what happened, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it's like, it, it, I just, I, it feels, it feels real and, and also <laughs> so strange. It's like, it's like indulgent in a way where it feels right. It, it's like, yeah. I feel like so often you can read something that you obviously would say this would be fun to write. And it's like, it's like unreadable. Right. <laughs> but, but in this case, it's just like, you can tell that uh, it's indulgent to the right degree, which is so nice. Um, I want to talk a little bit, Christine, about kind of your career as a whole, because although you're a friend and I studied with you, I am so interested in kind of your path to teaching for so long, for publishing so many books. And I just feel like your career is one that is particularly interesting. And I was wondering if you could kind of just take us through a little bit Um yeah, yeah. Early on, especially. I mean, you had you've had so many interesting twists and turns to your career that I think our listeners would love to hear about. Well, thanks for asking. Um, 
I was a poetry MFA, so I had, and I, I guess I'd been writing, well, I'd been out of grad school for 11 years when my first book came out, which was a story collection, um, portraits of a few of the people I've made cry. And I had, you know, in those 11 years from 98 to 2010, when that book came out, I'd been writing and doing the usual thing. I, I knew when I was in grad school, I was probably going to be work, focusing more on fiction, but I just didn't feel in my 20s that I really could, I just didn't know really how to write from someone else's point of view and how to inhabit, you know, to get the interiority right. So I was trying to write fiction and I did write a little bit in grad school, but it was mostly poetry. So it was, you know, really useful and helpful in that. I, I think I just learned a lot about compression, but also about precision. And, um, and I'd always, I pretty much was a realist poet, but I, in a narrative poet for the most part, but um, I, you know, I had tried to, I gotten an agent and then she was fired promptly after I signed a contract with that agency. And, hmm. and then I was worked, I was sort of shuttled to another agent who was very nice and tried to sell a story collection of mine and didn't sell. And then, and then eventually I ended up getting a piece in Best American Short Stories in 2008. And at that point I had, I was in my, I guess I was 37. And I had been, you know, I'd been out of grad school for almost 10 years by that point. And I really had literally been thinking about giving up like three weeks before I got oh, the wow. book about, oh my the, gosh. about the story being in Best American. And and I, I wasn't, I kind of knew that I wasn't going to, but I just thought like, you know, I've had like two or three stories accepted a year. That was, you know, mostly when we sent everything out in with self-addressed stamped envelopes. You guys are quite a bit younger than I am. So maybe you mostly have submitted online, but at that point you're still sending out a copy and then a self-addressed stamped envelope and your cover letter. And then you get your rejection letters. I remember one time I came back from a week away and I think it was like around 2000, I had 16 rejection letters waiting oh. for me in my mailbox. Oh my oh. God. I mean, I, yeah. And I have had like visibly like in my bag, my biography, it's like, wow, you've had a lot of success and you have had these stories anthologized and, and I've had books that have gotten modest literary prizes. And, um, but, you know, commercially I have not sold a lot of I just haven't sold a lot of books. And and so then after Virginity of Famous Men and Paris, he said, they sold together in 2013. And then Bloomsbury published Paris, he said, in 2015. And it got some nice reviews. And, you know, the New York Times has been really supportive. They haven't renewed, they haven't reviewed this book. I don't know if they will or won't. I'm guessing not. We haven't, the book's been out more than a month now. Um, but they reviewed my last three books and I've, you know, written a couple of reviews for them and but it's been nine years since or no it's been six years since virginity of famous men came out but it, it sold nine years ago with paris so i just had been writing new novels and then my agents i had one that i had another and then i had another they i would write a new book and then i Sometimes I'd need to get a new agent or I'd just part ways with one because we didn't see eye to eye about something and um, they wouldn't sell. And a, a couple of them, my, my former editor at Bloomsbury tried to acquire, but in my advances at Bloomsbury were not anything, you know, crazy. Like the, the two novels had, I mean, they were good advances for fiction in, at the time, like in 2011, when Little Known Facts sold, and then Paris, he said, when it sold in 2013, I, I got 50,000 for those novels. And then Virginity Famous Men got 10,000. Um, but, you know, pretty modest. Which advantage. one of those was, sorry, which one of those was on the cover of, because I was studying with you when, was it, it Little Known Facts came out and it was on the cover of the, was it New York Review? What was it? The heck? What the heck it was, was the it? New York Times book review? Yeah, New York Times book review, right? It, yeah. with, it was a split cover with Teddy Wayne. His that's book right. Of, okay, the love okay. song of Johnny Valentine. So we that is a yeah. dream. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, was, I remember. It was terrific. Re yeah, but you know the books. I guess it sold okay, but it didn't sell. 
you know, as well as they'd hoped. But I, I think part of it is like with board with borders having gone under mm. by that point, Barnes and Noble didn't really carry my books in their stores. They'd have them in their warehouses. Mm. So like, for example, with the paperback of Virginity of Famous Men, Bloomsbury, we already had had the paperback in production, but then they pulled it because I think Barnes and Noble ordered a small number of copies. So Bloomsbury is like, well, it's just not going to be financially sound for us to publish this. So then it, I ended up like a year or two later, two years later, Jerry at Tortoise Books published right. a paperback of that book. So, you know, they, I, and then also like when I was working with another agent, who would the one who said <laughs> that her assistant thought please be advised was boring she excuse me she tried to sell one of the novels that nancy my former editor at bloomsbury wanted to buy to audible mm -hmm. you know amazon's obviously you know them but they then they kept the book for like three or four months and they're like finally they said well her other audiobooks the two novels little known facts and Paris, he said they both had audiobooks didn't sell that well so sorry we're going to turn this down oh my god so, you know, I have been through a lot of stuff that is very similar to just like, oh, well, we think you're great, but sorry, we're not, I don't, we can't make any money off of you as far as we can tell. So, I mean, I understand it's a business and Bloomsbury did publish three books plus the paperback of my first book. So, I mean, it's not their fault really, you know, who knows what, what accounts for, if people knew what made a bestseller, then every book would be a bestseller. So, um, but I've just, you know, steadily kept writing and finally, with the anthology, Love in the Time of Time's Up, and then Please Be Advised, I just thought, you know, I, I'm going to just try to place these myself because the most recent agent that I work with was going to go out with the anthology, but then the pandemic hit, and then she said, yeah. well, no one's really buying books, so sorry, I'm not going to go out with this. And then Jerry, again, from Tortoise, was like, I love this. I want to publish this. So right you know, the alternative is no book or right. else self-publish. And I just, you know, I thought, well, I'd much rather publish with Tortoise than try to self-publish or not publish at all. Mm -hmm. Sure. And yeah, so it's, but it, you, I, I have a good friend who um, won the story collection prize and her book came out not too long ago and she had really good pre-pub reviews, but she did not hire a publicist this time. And her first book, she did hire a publicist. She got some reviews, but this time, even with the like starred reviews, she got no coverage for this wow. book. And I'm just kind of like, what do you do now? Like, how... should we um hype her? Who who is it? Pardon? Should we hype oh, yeah, her I here? Love it. It's um Karen Lynn Greenberg's book, um, Vanished. We did actually just do. I just interviewed her, and it went up on Ziziva Ooh. a few days ago. So, but I I mean, the fact that she had these really great reviews and then no coverage, and I'm just like. I know there's not as much space in book reviews anymore, but but we also see a lot of the same books get most of the oxygen. Mm -hmm. That's um, definitely you, true. Aren't you excited to see what's going to happen and the shifts that are going to have to happen now that Twitter is dying? Because <laughs> for I so relied on it, right? Like it's just go to Twitter or, you know, like, and even I, like, I, I tend to find books by seeing what my friends on Twitter or, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Instagram are saying. Um, and yeah. you know, or, or, and it's, and it's exactly like you're saying, like those same books, you see them over and over and over again, being hyped and rehyped and rehyped. I'm just wondering what the change is going to be. I hope it's good. My fear is that whatever the next thing is, or the next iteration of Twitter I just, I can't imagine that there is like a salute, like if Twitter is, a, if, if we're like positing that Twitter is a problem, I don't even believe that there is a solution to like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like the next thing I think is just going to be a different problem. Like everybody, yes, mig like everybody migrating to Instagram, you know, it's like I'm on Instagram or I'm on Mastodon, whatever the hell that is. It's just like, <laughs> these things are just going to become different different terrible things problems yeah i mean i don't know i and i don't even mean that cynically i just feel like these like these machine these like mechanisms we use to try and 
get word of our books out, our friends' books, presses, yeah. whatever it may be. It's like there, it's just such a, it's just limited. And I feel like the only thing that matters is <laughs> write a good book and hope for the best because my God. You're right. That's the only thing that you can control. And, yeah. and that's kind of like been the thing where I was thinking, I have to have fun writing this book because mm. if I don't, like, <laughs> why bother? I mean, mm-hmm. no one's clamoring from another, for another book for me. And I mean, that's not like, I, I mean, that sounds like self-pity, but I, no. it's reality. Like I've just been a writer for 30 years now. And since I was in college in the early nineties, I was, that's when I first became serious about writing. And I've, I've just been through a lot of stuff with a lot of disappointment, a lot of nice things have happened, but as far as like making a, a living from it, I do not like my teaching. I, I also, you know, I have several different part-time teaching gigs. So like the Northwestern faculty director job is also part-time. So I'm glad they let me take it with me to Pasadena um, because mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've taught a little bit. I taught at Cal arts, I taught part-time there, but you know, it's not been easy to get teaching. There's just, as you know, there are a lot of writers and LA has a lot of writers who are good and they know how to teach too. So, and I'm I'm, also not like 25 or 30 anymore. So I I don't want to admit that age is a factor, but I think in most things it is, including mm -hmm. the the literary world. It's, it's so amazing. I mean, even just to pause on the fact that I'm sure, Christine, when you tell people, oh, you know, I mean, I'm, you would not say it this way, but if someone said it back to you, like, oh, you run Northwestern's MFA program, and then you <laughs> reiterated the point that it's a, you know, it's part time. It's not, it's not like, you know, this isn't, you're not making millions of dollars off this, despite it being Northwestern, despite it being a great MFA program. It's just like, it's kind of unbelievable how many, things in in book world as i call it you know there's so much prestige with so many of these things and so many of these things are actually great but it's like to actually cobble together a life writing yeah. is i mean i think you're just you're one of the people i always think of that just just absolute doggedness otherwise <laughs> i mean and i mean it as such a compliment i mean it's just I mean, even just the fact you, there were so many times that you were kind of going through the, just, just now telling us a little bit of your path to, to right now is, I mean, how many agents did you mention? I've had four, not including the two who either left the industry or got fired. Yeah. Yeah. And right now I'm not really working with an agent because um, even though I'm working on a, a new manuscript, I'm, it's not done. And I'm also, I wouldn't mind if, 713 wanted to work with me again that goofy sex comedy which is called the month of september i maybe they'll want to do it because i love that book and i just i mean people also might find it like what is this weird (laughs) book or it's boring i don't think it's boring there's actually a lot of sex in it so it's (laughs) i I love the dichotomy i love the dichotomy of please be advised and of your sex comedy being what the hell is this or this is boring (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, you know like my partner and I were talking about this the other day where it's always the shitty things that you remember it's never like oh my god you're the most wonderful person or oh you're so brilliant it's always like you know you kind of suck like it's those are the things you remember yeah so, absolutely yep yeah but I but I also laugh I'm like I know this book is not boring you know no, like it's not. just not it's 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 just who knows what was going on it's like anything if you're reading if you're if you send a story and it gets rejected and then you send it somewhere else that's maybe better and they take it it's kind of it's like the first place that rejected it or the 10th or 20th place that rejected it it's like whoever was reading that day maybe was having a terrible day and they rejected everything you just don't mm-hmm. know yeah Absolutely. or like even is tired you know and it's just yeah. like i don't yes. i can't get there right yeah. now fuck it you know <laughs> And then the next day they're like, I feel great. And they read the next thing and they're like, this is wonderful. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. And I remember reading in one of the intros that Heidi Pittler wrote to the best American short stories. She's like, you know, sometimes you get like three stories about a black dog and then you're not going to take all three. They might be great, but you know, that's just how it happened. And and that's, and I think that's like, as you guys know, I'm sure sometimes why a book becomes really successful. It's just, crazy luck yep were you teaching 
pretty much that whole time. I mean, have you been teaching basically since you got out of grad school? You know, I worked for five years in an office job at the School of the Art Institute. And then in 2003, I applied for an Illinois Arts Council grant in poetry and I got it, or no, it was 2002. And then I got it. And then, so the following August, having that $7,000, I thought, well, I went back to teaching. So I was teaching as an adjunct at DePaul and Loyola and I left the Art Institute. And so since 2003, even though I taught for three years when I was a grad student in Indiana and in Bloomington, um, I'd taken five years off. And then since then, so it's been almost 20 years that I've been teaching and steadily, like I, I've taught every single year, mm. but What's not the... always as much as other years. It just depends. One thing that I, I really loved about studying with you, Christine, is the way you are being open with us right now and just, you know, laying it all out the way it actually is, is exactly your demeanor as a professor. And I remember there's been multiple times, one, in fact, that led me to having the agent that I still have and where I reached out to you and just asked for advice. And I, I think you're, you're one of these people where once someone studies with you or you're kind of in their world, you become such a, uh, a figure of wisdom and, and guidance. And okay. I, I was wondering if you think about that role in other writers' lives. And like at this point after teaching for a long time and just being in this world, how uh, have, you, have, you, have you thought about how many people you've impacted even aside from your writing, just, just your guidance alone? Well, that's really nice of you to say. I'm sure you both I mean, just to pass the praise, like the fact that you're doing this podcast, I think about that often, like, cause you know, whenever I see a new episode in my feed, often I listen to it. And then I think, how do they fit this in? Like, it's amazing <laughs> what you're doing and you know, you enjoy it. I'm, I, I'm guessing. And I just like people for the most part, not, not everyone, but I like my students. And I, I just, I mean, I think some of it, I'm just curious. I want to know how people are doing. Mm. And, and also like, I know how hard it is. I'm sure you guys, you know, too, firsthand. So if, if I can answer a question, I, it, and my mother's like that too. Like she, she's a veterinarian and people, I send friends to her. She's just very generous person. So, I mean, I send like, if they have a phone call, they have a question about their dog or their cat, or, you know, she, she doesn't, she doesn't charge them or anything. So just her sort of mo of just like if i can help you i will and mm. he likes doing it and so do i so i just and i'm also just curious i want to know what's going on and and i'm hoping people are succeeding because i mean it takes a lot of work to get an mfa so mm. and it's not cheap either so it's i feel like if we can help each other and we're also each other's readers yes so my yeah. students um recently at a, at a retreat <clears throat> that I did, they, they were all, um, for the most part, older women and, um, didn't have an MFA and they were, you know, asking like, do I need to get an MFA that age old argument? And <clears throat> I, I was telling them like, well, I think if you are looking for community, then that's a great way to find it. Because I think it's exactly like you're saying, like kind of checking in, you know, seeing what people are working on, like working together on something lending your help, you know, being inspired by them. Um, it's, it means everything. Cause it's so easy as a writer, you're already alone a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and like sort of for me doing this podcast has shown me how many different paths there are to, yes. to getting what you want, whatever that is. Um, and you can get in your head about like, well, you know, like um, some of my students were mentioning Emma Straub and, and comparing their hopeful hope, you know, the careers they wanted to like, well, how can I be Emma Straub, you know? Mm -hmm. And cause they had, they only knew Start that story. <laughs> well, they only knew that story, you know? And when you, when you open yourself up to these other stories, you know, and these other ways of making work and just in general, like there's people out there making novels that are just memos it's like, yeah. holy shit, <laughs> you know, like that yeah. is such a, a, like a generous bit of permission that somebody really yes. needs, you know? Um, yeah, I, that's a great way of looking at it, Lindsay. I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things we live in our heads so much. And then if we're on social media, 
oh, someone is doing a 15 city book tour or, oh, you know, you, it's hard. You, we have to not compare ourselves to everyone, but yes. who does not do that? Oh, we it's so hard. Do. It's so hard. Yeah. And, and I just think like I've gotten, some days of course are harder than others, but I just am kind of like, you know what? You just cannot predict anything. And, no. and I think too, the thing that I've always sort of been surprised by is even people who are, to me, seem to have, you know, a lot, a lot going for them. They, it's not what it looks like usually. Right. Like you just have to, and also the hedonic adaptation thing, like you might win the Pulitzer, you might be a millionaire, but you're, you're not happy. Like, I, I hope that isn't the case for everyone who achieves the things that they've wanted, but I, I think we get used to things. And so we find new things to torture ourselves about. Totally. And, it's not, yeah, it's just human nature. But I, I I just think like the main thing for me is if I feel awful or I just feel shitty about something, I'm like, I just have to write. And if I'm not, if I haven't had time to write for like a couple of weeks or I've just procrastinated, I know that it will make me feel better as soon as I do it. Yes. It kind of reminds you of yourself, right? It's like, ah, this is who I am. You know, yeah. like I was losing myself to all these reasons, you know, that I'm not what I think I should be, but I actually am that I just have to do the work. And it's actually a relief. If you think of it that way, it's like, Oh, there's actually like a concrete thing I can be doing. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's so true. Like, I'm like, I don't need to do the laundry and go to three different grocery stores and, right. like, <laughs> and write, write another note to my aunt. Like let's write, well, I should write a note to my aunt, but oh. I can probably spend an hour working on a short story or something like that and I I recently <laughs> got my got my edits back from my editor and you're working of, with Roxanne Gay right I am <laughs> yes yeah it's, it's so cool I can't wait to read it because I heard you talking on a was it with her on a podcast was it it was probably this anyway, podcast babbling, but so you you got your notes back from her yeah so I instead of working on those I cleaned the dog shit out of my husband's vans <laughs> I was like, well, this has to be dealt with. I cannot look at these vans the, the sitting on the deck like, anymore. Almost, the sad thing is there's almost nothing you would rather do less than clean dog shit from someone's shoes. But oh my God. they had been sitting on the deck for two weeks. They had been rained on and rained on again. And they were like disgusting. And the dog shit had turned into like pudding. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do instead of working on my edits. <laughs> I just throw shoes away if I step in dog shit. I, I, I refuse. I just can't do it. I'm like, I am done. I get this it. I done. get it. But they were like his special Simpsons, Mr. Plow ones. And we're not yeah. buying those again, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess not. Anyway, they're clean now and my edits still remain. <laughs> You'll get them done when there's no more shoes and dog shit. That's right. That's right. I will be searching high and low, knocking on the neighbor's doors. Have you stepped in dog shit? I have a special tactic. Anyway. Has, has your writing changed since moving to California? Do you feel like, like anything shifted in your process or the way you go about your work after leaving Chicago? Well, to be honest, I feel like my focus has gotten less laser-like, if it ever was laser-like. Um, I Well, one thing, one of the reasons I moved here was so I could learn how to write scripts. So for the first few years that I was, I've lived here now, I guess, four and a half years. For the first three years, I was basically trying to give myself you know, a crash course in writing features and pilots. And so I found that my fiction writing was, it was not, it was, it just wasn't as good because I was mm. trying to learn to write in a different way. And so I had to figure out a way to write like I used to write and then also write screen material. And it's, it is really, I mean, I don't know if you guys have written any scripts, but I'm guessing you probably have, or at least, tried or read some it's a really different skill set but at the same time it's like some of the best scripts like there's this script for the limey I don't know if you guys have seen that Steven Soderbergh movie love it by this writer Lem Dobbs yeah I think it's a great movie and I read the script I'm like this is so incredibly well written I'll send it to you if you guys want the pdf yeah do it curiosity. yeah it's so good like the the expository passages because they're always like don't write a novel you're writing a script he somehow manages to do something that I don't see many writers do. Um, it's just really beautiful. Some wow. of the descriptive passages in the opening scenes. So, but I, I guess like I've kind of been 
I mean, it's not that different other than the fact that I'm not writing as much as I used to. Mm. So and that I don't like that. But I also thought, well, I have several novels I've not published. Like, why am I busting my ass writing one after the other and then not selling them when I think they're as good as the stuff I've already published? So I think that I just kind of slowed down. I thought, you know, I'm just not going to try to write as fast because I'm, you know, I what if I, I don't really want to have so much work that I can't sell mm-hmm. I, I you know I've tried to focus on publishing a couple of the books that I have sitting here that I still really care about maybe because there's more sunshine you're also like enjoying your life more <laughs> <laughs> I do get outside more it is true I, I mean I, that's the thing like I've said um to a couple of people I'm like I still don't really know how to enjoy my life the way I feel like I should be able to but I think it's just like you know as a writer we all sort of have these or not all of us, but some of us, we're kind of neurotic, you know, it's it's like, (laughs) like we have to learn how to be happy. It's not easy. It's not, I've had, I have like three bottles of champagne, um, that I keep saying, okay, I will use this to to celebrate. (laughs) And then I never can think of a reason that I'm allowed to celebrate. Never. Oh, I keep, what about when you sold your book to imprint? You would think, oh my God. I <laughs> but think I'm like, one. <laughs> I just worry, you know, because you don't know, like the best yeah, case like, scenario probably is that it will not change my life at all. <laughs> well, um, I know. And you, I mean, it, it might very well, but yeah, that's been my thought about everything. It's like, it looks like from the outside that things are cool and I'm kicking ass, but I don't feel that way. And it's actually not true. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like we need someone in our lives that are like, okay, it's time to celebrate. It's time to celebrate. This is a, this is something you should celebrate. I always, yeah, we have, we should ask you, did you celebrate when you sold, please be advised. I think we, we went out and had a nice dinner. There's okay here called Sage. Well, it was Sage Vegan Bistro. They, I think the name vegan is kind of, they don't want, it's like a stigma. It's now Sage Plant-Based Bistro, Mm -hmm. which is really, really good. And it's also like junk food. It's not just healthy salads <laughs> it's really good <laughs> vegans have fun everyone okay all right it's true. they have it's fun true. yeah 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 we i mean i'm not as strict as my partner because i still eat a little bit of dairy but <gasps> there's <laughs> you know, i'm not i'm not like oh my god i can't you know i i just yeah so i i think it's fine, you know, if you're going to have butter or an egg occasionally. Yeah, absolutely. treat yourself. See, you are celebrating. <laughs> it's true. I do have to like, like the donut memo and please be advised. I love mm. donuts so much. But if oh, you yeah. have like any sort of weird blood sugar stuff, donuts and French fries are actually the worst thing you can eat. Not candy. Oh. It's donuts and French fries. Whoa. Yeah, so they really screw up this your blood explain sugar. So some stuff. Donuts are celebrating. <laughs> Alex. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say Alex I I, oh yeah I, I was just gonna say you know this is like going to the doctor actually this little bit of information you just gave me so I, I don't know <laughs> I'm in trouble gotta move to California it's God. time not that I avoid french fries I I, can't, I have to eat them oh it's, I'm the same way that's yeah, I, I mean that. give me a break I I would give up almost any food before french fries I, I, I actually feel the same fries? yeah oh my gosh wow yeah that'd be rough Oh, now I need to go eat some French fries. <laughs> Christine, can you please do us a favor and eat some French fries in honor of your amazing book that I loved and had so much fun reading? Thank yes, you. I what? will. We actually had some Friday at lunch and I will probably have some tonight too. So we'll there you see. go. Good. Okay. <laughs> Thank With you so much for coming on. This was a total blast. We're both massive fans of yours and can't wait to see uh, what's next. I can't wait to give this to... Yes. I love and hate. Hey, what's the best place to get this book? Is the best place to get the book on 713's website? Is it at Bookshop? What's How, how should people go about this? Great. Yeah, okay. order if you're going to do it online. Also, um, you can, your indie bookstore, if you feel like going there, that's another good way. I know Amazon has it, but, you know, bookshop.org is great. So Awesome. And um, don't, no one forget that Christine also recorded the audiobook for this. So that's, that's right. another treat. 
<laughs> with a really sort of questionable British accent. So I don't know. It's that's good. perfect. That is just perfect and, and perfectly in line with, with the book itself. Where you're just kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> Can I trust oh this? <laughs> you guys are terrific. I'm sorry to use such a cheese ball word, but no. I, I just think what you're doing is really generous and and pretty rad. So oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank that's you, awesome. Christine. Thank you so much. We'll see you on the interwebs. <laughs> All right. Bye, Christine. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thanks. That was great. She's great. I love Christine. I'm totally biased. Um, I will always read her work. Yeah. As we all know by now, we can trust Alex when it comes to <laughs> only when it comes to literary recommendations. That's right. That's right. Um, um, I have a few great. myself. Um, I, on the recommendation of Gabe Habash, the Instagram recommendation of Gabe Habash, I read Joan Sampson's The Auctioneer. Mm-hmm. it was like one of the best books i've ever read it was wow terrifying and like to the point where sometimes i didn't even feel like i could read it because i was like God. i i can't go there right now um and she it was her only book she ever re- wrote and she died of a brain tumor in like 1976 jesus so, christ yeah was so it recently reissued or something it or? was on grady hendrix's p- paperbacks from hell so he's like okay. reissuing a bunch of like horror novels that went out of print is that an imprint of something or is it just his own press i you know good question i don't know okay um and i've never read any grady hendrix but i don't um, even know who that is should he i writes, he writes i think he wrote like the something about the final girls he writes books like that okay like horror type pop culture type books but um okay. so so good i hated it ending i was also relieved when it ended <laughs> um so highly recommend that. And then I read Chelsea Martin's book, her new book, um, mm. Tell Me I'm an Artist. It's in my bedside stack. I read like the first five pages and was like, fuck yes, but I have not continued yet. That is always my reaction. Like the first paragraph, you're like, oh, fuck yes. Give me this. She um, is she is one of one. Yes, I, I. that's exactly right. Nobody writes like her. Nobody. She is fucking fearless and... um uh i don't know like if you have a dysfunctional family if you ever went to art school if you know just, people who went to art school if you ever think about art just get her you, book you need to get her book so it's so funny and so sad and I, I that's my favorite combo um i was telling i was talking i i have not read it yet but i was talking about chelsea with a, i can't even remember who it was somebody recently because I was reading a lot of the coverage around that book just because I was curious and the book is strange and whatever. And she is one of these people, I feel like, even if the profile or the interview is really good, and I and I actually really liked her recent other people she did, it's never as good as her writing. And, and it also, like, what I mean, I mean that as, like, the ultimate compliment. I, I mean that, like... She's her not writing, yeah, her writing and her books, the, the actual work itself is always better than the coverage. And that is not the case for many, many writers. God, that's such a good point. And Holy shit. She is always better. And I think that it it's just proof that she's going to have a long, interesting, amazing career. Because I will read anything oh, she yeah. makes. Abs- I completely agree. And like, as soon as it comes out, I will get it. Cause I, there's just nobody, nobody like her. She's, She's incredible. So, funny. Oh so funny, but so just like her stuff is so achingly human. Mm-hmm. Sorry to be all blurby about it. No, but um, yeah. So I felt I, I, I read that book in two days cause I couldn't stop. I could not stop. I ignored my children. <laughs> <laughs> I ignored my sudden onset of dizziness. Um, but now I'm going to read Jack Gems's new book, Empty Theater. Jealous. Which comes out in February. What a um, cover. I know the cover is incredible. And it has like a very long subtitle that I can't recite from memory, but it's about King Ludwig II, I think it is, and his cousin Sissy. Don't and know anything about that. It's at all. Jack Gems. So, you know, yeah, you know you're in know. for it. Sure. Yeah. That's amazing. And that's it. What about you? 
Um, I am just beginning to read my book again before mm. we start edits. Um, and then let's see. So that's happening. I'm writing. I'm working on some short stories, which I haven't oh been doing gosh. in like a long time. So that's fun. Um, I said short stories. It's short story. I am working on a short story, not multiple at once. So well, more to come, I'm sure. Hopefully. Um, and that's kind of it. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, I got my edits back from Roxanne and she wants them back very quickly and it feels insurmountable. So sometimes I'm like gripped with panic mm. and dread. Mm-hmm. And then other times I'm like, I can do this. This will be fine. <laughs> so, and it kind of mirrors the protagonist in Chelsea Martin's novel, who is supposed to do this big project about Rushmore and then just keeps putting it off <laughs> where she's like, at some point, some point she's like, oh yeah, that thing. Another point she's like, oh my God, what have I done? And at another point she's like, it'll be fine. <laughs> so we'll oh, see. Man. We'll see. I'm, I'm very nervous and feeling a lot of doubt and i think that's normal um so i'm just reminding myself of that yeah for sure definitely normal yeah pray for Um, me okay that's it i'm not gonna pray for you but um i'll okay i will um (laughs) cool okay well i'll see you next year (laughs) i'm a writer but is recorded by alex hickley and me Lindsay hunter in our respective basements Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah, yeah.